Well, today we're, we're going to wrap this up. We've been talking so far about what I framed around something called the gospel prayer. I'd read a fellow pastor of mine had, had written this prayer out, and I read it last year. I'm like, I've got to build a series around this prayer. And the prayer simply said that as we pray to God, we would say, Lord, in Christ, there is nothing that I can do, God, to make you love me anymore. Absolutely. God has loved us with an incredible love because he sees us in Christ. And it went on to say, and there's nothing I have done to make you love me any less. Too many people are living with guilt and shame and thoughts of the past that they just need to let go. And then we, we talked in that prayer about how, that Lord, your, your presence and your acceptance are all I need for everlasting joy. Now, that sounds good, doesn't it? But it's hard. Because we kind of add other things to that. Lord, you know, if I have this, if I have that, if I have this situation or this location, then Lord, I have joy. But truthfully, His presence and His acceptance are all we really need. That's why I love when we come together on Sundays and worship the Lord because the Scripture tells me whether I feel it or not, the Bible says that God is enthroned in the praises of His people. What we just did for the last 20, 30 minutes, I just believe God is just pouring out grace and mercy as we sing and worship Him together. Then the prayer, we turned it outward. And, and when the simple thought was, God, as you have been to me, then I will be to others. So, Lord, as you have forgiven me, I'll forgive others. God, as you've been gracious to me, I'll be gracious to others. God, as you are generous, Lord, I will be generous. And it changes our, our outlook of how we see people in this world, that they're not, they're not in the way, they're not bothers, they're not people we avoid, they're, they're his creation. And God wants us to act toward them the way he acted toward us. And then last week, we introduced the final piece of that, and that was the thought of prayer. And that is, Lord, when I pray, I will measure your power, I mean, your, your compassion by the cross, and your power by the resurrection. Guys, that's powerful. I mean, that is a strong view, because what he's saying is this, God, if you sent your own son to die on the cross for us, what more compassion can we ask for, right? And if you have, have the ability to raise him from the dead, what are we asking for, God, that you are not powerful enough to do. So it changes our perspective totally. And we looked in the, in the story of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to kind of get a vision of this in, in, in last week. We, we shared stories about how that there were, there were these three Hebrew children that were thrown into this fire because their unwillingness to bow before a, an earthly king, and God rescued them. I, I shared stories about the, the woman uh, with the issue of blood who pressed through and touched Jesus on the hem of his garment, and the word says that she was healed instantaneously. We, we talked about all these examples in the word, David and Goliath, of, of just how, how that God isn't waiting on us to wait on him to tell us what to do. But he has shown us again and again through his word what his will is, and if we act on his will, what we're saying is, God, we believe this is what you would do in this situation. So Lord, come in your compassion, your power, and Lord, let your will be done. These things give us confidence. They, they give us a, an ability to stand strong and pray boldly. But, but here's the obvious question we have to deal with when it comes to this topic, and, and we're going to wrap it up this way, and that is, well, 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 what happens when he doesn't come through? Well, what happens when uh, he says no? What, what happens when, when the thing we're boldly hanging on for we don't see in our timing and our, our desire for every for everyone who's been, who's been raised out of the fiery furnace, there's 10 others that have been martyrs for Christ. For all those things that we pray for, sometimes we don't see the answer the way we want to see the answer. So what do we do? What do we do when our bold prayers are not answered and God doesn't do what we think he ought to do in our situation? Anybody ever experienced that? What happens when he doesn't heal the loved one? 
What happens when, when our, the ministry flops? What happens when the teenager rejects the gospel? I don't know about you, but I, I can give example after example of God. I have prayed according to your will. To the best of my knowledge, God, this is who you are. And Lord, I believe this is your will for the situation, only to not, not see it happen the way I think it ought to happen. So how do we deal with that? That's what I want to focus on this morning. How do we deal with that? So why don't you pray with me? Because this is one of those topics that gets really quiet. Because everybody's like, ooh, we don't even think about this. But can I tell you, there's something that glorifies God in the midst of this that's going to just, I think, make you come alive. So join me in prayer right now. Father, God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that, Lord, you have shown us clearly, God, through your word, your compassion, your mercy, your power, your strength, your grace, your love. And God, I pray that, God, you give us an open heart, an open mind today, God. Let us have ears to hear, God, what you would say to us through your word. And God, let's let us respond by faith today, God. Lord, trusting, God, in your hand, trusting in your love. We pray this in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. So Daniel chapter 3, verse 18 is kind of the, the, the tail end of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just to give you kind of the background again, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, modern-day Iraq, uh, decided one day that he should be worshipped as God, and he created this statue, 90-foot-tall statue made of gold, and his command was that every tongue, tribe, and nation would come together, and on his command they would bow before him and, and basically give him his, their worship. And there were the Hebrew children, these Hebrew men who'd been brought into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar, who he was raising up to be leaders in his nation, and they made a bold proclamation. They said, there is one God. And he is Jehovah God, and he's not you, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, we are not going to bow down uh, before you. And, and we, we see this kind of thought going through them where they said, our God is able. Our God is able. He will deliver us because we are not going to do what goes against our own belief. And in Daniel 3, 18, they, they kind of finish this statement, and they say, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. But if not, now there are those that I know that would just look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, y'all don't have enough faith. What is wrong with you? How could you make that statement at the end of the prayer? It feels like you're hedging your bets. Oh God, do this mighty, mighty thing, but if you don't, it's okay. Right? And there would be some that would really get on them and say, come on, where's your faith? And then there would be others who would say, well, absolutely, you should not have asked for anything because after all, God is sovereign. He's doing what he wants to do, so why did you even pray? See, there's all these extremes sometimes we get to in our understanding of how God moves. But can I tell you, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did and what they said is powerful. Because they were showing something to us that we need to understand today when it comes to prayer. Listen, they knew that God's plan might not include their deliverance. Because guess what? God had not told them. Nowhere did it say, God say, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's okay. Jump in the fire, your eyebrows will stay, okay? I promise you this, all right? You want to smell like smoke? It's going to be cool. Just don't worry about it. Come on. No. He didn't tell them that. So they prayed, and they knew that God may not deliver them the way they thought, at least not here and now, yet they still had faith in God and were willing to suffer and even die for him if that meant his glory on this earth. Not a real popular thought there, is it? Can I tell you guys this morning, just because God doesn't answer your prayer the way you think he should, doesn't mean that he is any less compassionate or powerful, and it doesn't mean even that you have missed the will of God for what you're asking for. You need to understand that. It doesn't mean you've missed the will of God. 
Listen, so what does it mean? How do, we, how do we embrace it? How do we embrace what happens when sometimes our prayers are not answered? I know this. The, the, the questions about why God does some things and why things don't happen, why there's evil in this world, why good people suffer, all those things, that is like a year-long, multitasked uh, sermon series all by itself. But here's one thing I can assure you. The gospel of God has made it clear of how God feels about us, how he relates to us, and it's been forever established in the gospel that he is our God and his will will be done in our lives. So how do we act? How do we respond? If you're taking notes this morning, what I want to do first is I want to focus on some things that matter to God when we pray. Because one thing we need to understand is, is that God has promises to us and sometimes those promises are conditional. There are things that he is looking for in our lives that, that have an effect on how we pray. And, and I want to be cautious this morning because for those of you that may be raised the way I was, a little bit in a legalistic standpoint, A plus B always has to equal C, just because you can tick off all these boxes I'm going to share with you still does not mean that you've got God in an arm bar behind his back and he's going to come through, all right? Neither does it mean that if you, like, miss one, there's no way God's listening to you. So, so here we go. Take some notes on this morning and let this speak to you. There are a few things the Bible says matter to God when we pray. And the first thing is this. Your relationships matter to God when we pray. Your relationships. Are you giving? Are you growing in your relationships? In Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 11 will be on the screen. Verses 24 through 25 says this. Therefore, I tell you. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it'll be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. That's, that's strong, isn't it? Anything you ask for, it'll be given to you, but oh, oh, wait a minute. But if you stand praying, remember that, remember that <laughs> if you hold anything against anyone, it doesn't say if anyone's mad at you. It says, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your prayers are not hindered. 1 John 2, 9. How can you say that you love God and hate your brother? Listen, guys, your relationships matter to God. If you've not forgiven, if you've not released, it appears that somehow that affects the effectiveness of our prayers. So how can we receive the forgiveness of God over and over again and not forgive those who've harmed us? Remember, as you have been to me, I will be to others. It impacts our prayers. Oh, wait a second. Married people, this one's really good. In, in fact, I'll just, husbands, that's how it starts, First Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, how many believe that the Bible is true? You think we're supposed to pay attention to it? Husbands? No elbows. Come on, ladies. Don't do it. It affects our prayers. How we treat the person God has brought into our lives. I'm going to flip that on its head. Ladies, I think it goes the same way. Come on, right? I don't think it's just a, a male thing. I think it's a relational thing. How we treat others matters to God and has some effect on our prayers. The second thing that, that God says matters to him is our motives. Our motives matter when we pray. Why are we praying for it? Why are we asking for it? What are we, what are we looking for? Because here's the deal. Sometimes we replace the very promise of joy God has given us by his presence and his acceptance with things. God, I'll only be joyful if you give me this. God, I'll only be joyful if you open this opportunity. God, I only will experience true joy, God, if, 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 if. And what we do is we become idolatrous in our prayers. 
We replace the love of God, his presence, and his, and his acceptance with things that we cannot control. Here, here's a statement I wrote in my notes for you. It says, you might never really know that Jesus is all you need until he is all that you have. Can I tell you, until you've been there, you really find out whether your joy is really complete in him when he's all you've got. You really find out what's in your heart, your motives. James addressed this so much in the book of James in the New Testament. He said in James chapter 4, verse 3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. You know, all through the New Testament, people had problems with this. The Pharisees, they, they prayed with the wrong motives. The Bible says they prayed to be seen and heard by man. In other words, they wanted acknowledgement as being righteous, holy people, and they missed the whole point that they were communing with the Father God. Oh, even those closest to Jesus, his disciples blew this. They, they struggled sometimes with what their motivations were. I, I love James and John, the, the sons of thunder. In Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 51, it says, As the time approached for him, speaking of Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Come on, how many want that kind of prayer power right there, right? God, you want to take them out? Just, just once, God, just like major fire bombs from heaven, right? And Jesus turned to them and rebuked them. And they went to another village. You know, sometimes our motives get messed up. Sometimes our motives get really out of whack. God, God, there's this cute girl that works in the mailroom. Lord, can, can you please save her so I can date her? doesn't quite work that way. God, when I fill out this lottery ticket, Father, oh God, oh, if I, if I win the million dollars, God, you know I will, give, I will give to the church. I will give so much. But if you're not even tithing already, do you think you're going to win the lottery? No. It's, it's backwards. It's backwards motivation. And God says that matters to him. In Proverbs 16, 2, he says, all, all a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. I always think my motives are pure, don't you? I always think I've got it down. You know, God, this, you, know, you know, God, I really need this. And you know my heart, God. How I many know he does know our hearts? <laughs> Amen. And he knows our motives. So we have to understand our relationships matter, our, our motives matter. The third thing is the way we live matters to God. The way we live matters to God. We all have the same access to God and the same potential in our prayers, but how we live affects the effectiveness of our prayers. James 5, verse 16, it says, the prayer of a what? Come on, talk to me this morning. Prayer of a what? Righteous man. A prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, even in our humanness, we can get this, right? Even in our fleshliness, our, our imperfection, we can get this. Just, just this the scenario. Who would, who would you rather give money to? Two people come up to you on the street and they, they need money. And one of them is a guy who's totally healthy, turned down two jobs that are beneath him. And the last time you gave him assistance, he went out and bought beer. That's one. The second one is a guy who has made some bad choices, had some bad breaks, but is working two jobs to try to make ends meet to support his family and to take whatever assistance he has and goes, buys, and, goes and buys food for his kids. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I think it's pretty easy to me. I'd give, one to this, I'd give money to the second guy. I'd give to the one who's had some forward momentum and who's trying to live rightly or righteously. You see, here's the deal. We can't live like God does not exist. And then get angry when he doesn't answer our prayers. Because then we reap what he we sow. 
Proverbs 15, 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Psalm 66, 18, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now be real careful with this, all right? Again, I caution you at the very beginning. Don't get all tangled legalistic in this. Because I'm not saying that if you're a good boy or a good girl, or at least better than your neighbor, that God has to give you everything that you ask for. And at the same time, neither am I saying that if you really blow it, (laughs) your hope of powerful prayer is gone. No. God knows our heart, but it appears, it appears that how we live matters when we pray. There's a fourth thing, and this is probably the one you expected from the beginning, and that is your faith matters when you pray. Your faith matters when you pray. James chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says this, But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. Your faith matters. There's this connection. There's this combination of what we believe to how we ask to what happens in our lives. But the sad thing is, is the longer we do church, the longer we are saved, if we're not careful, our faith diminishes over time because we become We become religious about our faith instead of heartfelt. Listen, I have said it before. If I'm sick, if I've got a real need in my life, the the number one place I want to go to is I want to walk down the hall and find some kids that believe Jesus still heals and say, pray for me. I want to find some newbie believer that's like so excited they can't believe Jesus saved them. They'll ask for anything. Why? I want to go where faith is. Listen, guys, we can educate ourselves out of faith, and others can talk us out of faith. If we're not careful, we keep our eyes on the one who is greater than. We measure our, his compassion by the cross, his power by the resurrection. Jesus came across two blind men. You can read the story. It'll be on the screen in Matthew chapter 9. And they were calling out. They, they wanted healing for their lives. We understand that. In Matthew chapter 9, it says, Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith will it be done to you. And their sight was restored. So how do you grow in faith? How do you build your faith? The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We need to be people of the Word if we're going to build faith. We need to get it into us. We need to understand it. We need to, we need to ruminate on it. We need to chew on it a little bit. We need to let it kind of walk around in our brain a little bit till we understand God's heart for us in His Word because His Word gives us faith. Experience gives us faith. Others can help our faith. Being part of this body gives us faith. But all that has to matter with our prayers. Listen, if, if God says that our, our faith matters and our motives matter and our relationships matter, then, then naturally the last thing is that his, his will matters. God's will matters to us. God's will matters to us. I love this promise in 1 John. Always one of my favorite faith statements. It says, this is the confidence we have an approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. That's powerful, isn't it? We know that he hears us. But if we know that it's according to his will, not only that, he acts on it. Now, I want to kind of wrap this today in, in this. If you have your Bibles, I want you to see it. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. It'll be on the screen, but this is one of those that you probably need to look at and uh, maybe you take notes in. Uh, I, I have one of my prized possessions right now from, uh, from going home to Texas. I have my father's Bible at home, and uh, 
he had the same Bible for many, many years, and I can't read the Scripture for all the writing that's over the top of it because he was, he was a note-taker. He liked to put things in there. And this is one you probably need to see because Hebrews 11, to me, is this phenomenal, phenomenal uh, chapter in the Bible. It is known as kind of the Hall of Faith or the Hall of Fame of Faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about two different sets of people, and you'll pick up on this, beginning in verse 33. The first group, it said, who through faith conquered kingdoms administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lines, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Man, that's a crew I want to hang out with, right? But the the Hebrew writer doesn't stop there. In verse 35 through 38, says, But there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Now, there are two very different groups of people, aren't they? And we all want to be in group one. (laughs) <laughs> we all want to be in group one. That, that's, the, that's the place we want to find ourselves, right? But the writer of Hebrews says something about these groups, and he points out that they were both examples of faith and shows how God used, uh, how God used both of them to complete his will on this earth. Verse 39 through 40. These were all commended for their faith. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. Here's what God did. I want you to hear this clearly. I want you to hear this. Come on, give me, give me ears this morning, right? Group number one, where we always want to be, was the group that God showed off his power by giving them what they asked for. There was a powerful display there, Right? There was a power of God flowing out through them. Group number one, God showed his power by giving them what they asked for. But group number two, God showed his value by letting them testify that he was better than life itself. And that's something we don't talk about in our generation. We don't accept in our westernized gospel. God is greater than anything we ask for on this earth. He is greater than anything we expect or would want. And sometimes we have to recognize that that there are things going on that we don't see when we ask in prayer, and God wants us to trust Him even if we don't see what we think He ought to do. Because at the end of the day, God's power is not primarily about victory over a particular situation. It's about His glory and His name be lifted up on this earth. Now, sometimes He does that. Sometimes He does that by giving us victory over an obstacle. But other times he does not. But he does does let us bring glory to him by letting us suffer. To show a watching world that he is better than anything else this world has to offer. I didn't expect a big amen right there. I expected the baby crying. That was probably more appropriate. Because you're like, no, I don't want to be in group two. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to go through hard times. I just want to experience all that God has for me. But can I tell you that God wants you to experience all he has for you as well? 
And God wants you to recognize that when you surrender your life to him, you're saying, God, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God, if you choose that my life is a reflection of your power, and God, I just see victory after victory after victory, then God, to you be the glory. But God, if you choose that my life is one where you want people to see that your love for me is greater than anything else on this earth, and God, I'm willing to let it all go just to show others that I love you. And God, what a great testimony that is. It's interesting in the story in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came through the fire. They, they passed through. Their eyebrows were still intact, right? But here's what happened because they trusted God. In Daniel 3, verse 28, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. Why was Nebuchadnezzar so pumped about God? Why is he commanding that everybody worship Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God? It wasn't. It wasn't because they came out of the fire alone. No, he said because they were willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or worship any other God. They showed that God was more valuable than life itself. That's what changed his heart. That's what changed his mind. You see, when we pray to this powerful God, when we pray to this compassionate God, We're asking him to do things according to his will, but when our circumstances make us ask where God is, when our circumstances make us ask, God, where were you in this? That's when we anchor our souls. That's when we go deep in our faith and we anchor our souls to God who gave himself up for us on the cross and say, Lord, you're enough. You're enough. If I don't see the answer to another prayer in this lifetime, God, you're enough because one prayer really mattered, and that was the time I said, God, forgive me of my sins. Let me make Jesus my Lord and Savior. Even Jesus had to face this. We're going to talk about it more next week on Palm Sunday and then on Easter. But even Jesus had to face this. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42 through 43, as he prayed, he said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Take this cup. I know that Jesus was sent to die for our sins. We know that. I know that his mission was clear. But I also know that he was human. He was fully God, fully man. He struggled with all the things we struggle with. And in his struggles and his honesty, I'm so thankful the Bible recorded his honesty of saying, Father, if we don't have to do this, it's okay. It's okay. If you want to take this cup from me, Lord, that's that's fine. Because crucifixion doesn't look good. Yet. Can we live in the yets? Can we just learn to live in the yets? Yet, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. I know this is going to come as a shock to a lot of teenagers, but fathers know more than their children do. They really do. It takes us a long time to figure that out. Fathers know more than their children, and sometimes they say no to our requests because they know something better. They know something greater. And sometimes God answers our prayers by giving us what we would have asked for had we known what he knows. We've got to learn to trust him. Guys, we serve a great God. We celebrate many victories and many answered prayers, and we we celebrate things that we cannot deny, we cannot explain, but we also walk through things that just don't make sense to our flesh. They just don't. But he's the same God, and his love has not changed for you. 
And his passion has not changed for you. And his power has not changed for you. And if he chooses to allow you to walk through in time where maybe it's not happening the way you want it to be, maybe we ought to look around and say, God, this is probably the best time for you to use as a witness for who you are because you are better than life itself.